Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. We exist to respond to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking at church. We are brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. We are also part of the Group Talk Network. Um, you'll be hearing more about that in the weeks to come. I'm here with our fantastic producer, Nathan Yoder, and our illustrious co-host, Aaron Mercer. Thanks, Peter. Aaron, awesome. this episode's a big deal. Yeah, this is an exciting episode. I'm really excited about it. We, we're going to be talking to some uh, good friends of, of Browncroft's for many, many years, and we'll get into that in a minute. But it's also coming out during a special time for Browncroft. We're, we're uh, about ready to celebrate our 100-year our birthday. What do you think about that? So my wife's grandma turned 100 this year, and my wife said to me, she goes, grandma's older than Browncroft. So um, anyways, but that's all the other things. So um, we have two guests here, Anna and Warren. They're going to be introducing themselves from Open Door Mission and also Rochester Family Mission. But the question we're asking is why does investing in the community for 100 years make a difference? And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to not only looking at the past of how churches and nonprofits, this is a story that's very, very normal but also what the future holds for us. So let's go. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'll just add too. I want to get to our guests here in a second, but I just want to add too. I think it's a, it's an exciting topic and, you know, um, you know, let's be honest. It's, it's one of those questions where you're like, okay, a hundred years, what does that mean? Does that mean that you overstayed your welcome? You've been around too long or what's, what sort of impact does that have on the community? I think that's where we get to, we want to dig in with some of our, our good friends who have also been here in the Rochester area for a long time and who Browncroft has been able to partner with. And um, I hope and pray and believe that has made an important difference. So anyhow, um, yeah, do you want me to have them introduce themselves? Yeah, or do you let, want to do it? What, how do you well, want to do this, Peter? You know what, I'll throw it to both All of right, you. All right, let's we'll do it. Going. So uh, for, this is Anna Valeria Iceman and Warren Meeks. Anna is the executive director of Open Door Mission. And then Warren is the executive director of Rochester Family Mission. Just to get started, why don't you introduce yourselves and also share how you landed. And we'll start with Anna first, then we'll go to Warren. Okay, thanks for having me. Um, I, I started at Open Door in 2014, and that was after I had been in the field for about five years, and I entered the field of homeless ministry and outreach. It was actually as many ministries are born out of grief. Um, it was um, uh, the sudden loss of my father. And um, I decided I really wanted to just find a way to reach out and have people be heard. I And um, so I started doing street outreach back when we could access the aqueduct tunnels under the <laughs> city streets. And I thought that by just kind of sitting down and talking with individuals, I could find um, know more about their stories and what led them to those situations and at that point it was really just to listen and that was born into uh, some case management work it developed into a profession but then I found my way to open door as a result of years of really seeing how broken the systems are that mm. are supposed to serve the poor and the addicted and the mentally ill. And and I think one of the biggest things I saw, and I'm sure Warren <laughs> would agree, is that one of the biggest things that's missing out of many programs is the gospel. And so Amen. that and that's what led me to reaching out to Open Door at one point and saying, you know, you guys are really different. Do you, do you realize that you're kind of different? That, you know, I've worked in all, all of the, all of these programs and many wonderful programs in our community. And anyway, I, I reached out to them and we started some conversations. They said, Hey, you know, we'd really like to develop a program for women and children. 
And so that was why it was brought on initially, was to do the research and development for the Women and Children's Program. And that was seven years ago. <laughs> and here we are, uh, seven years, almost eight years later now. And um, I'm the executive director, and lots of change and growth has happened in that time. But it's just a, it's a wonderful organization to be part of, and I'm just really happy to be there and, and honored to serve with the team we have there. That's great. Warren, let's hear from you. Well, right. Welcome. Anna's been on before. This is your first podcast with us, so welcome. Welcome. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. Um, I know we had talked about getting together and doing a podcast uh, a couple of times, but you know, I'm glad that we have the opportunity now. Um, I got with the Rochester Family Mission, um, my mother on and off in, our, in the course of uh, me growing up, always um, instilled upon us volunteering and you know being there to help out those that were in need and it wasn't until we reached a point when we were children that we fell into a need position and a church organization they came through for us and that really touched my heart but um over the course of maybe i said the past 15 years on and off i've been helping my mother with different functions at the Rochester Family Mission. I even worked there uh, once uh, 15 years ago. I was the driver picking up the groceries and stuff so that we can distribute. But you develop, a, a, I say, your heart gets attached to helping people. Mm. You know, I'm a guy that comes from the automotive industry where for the past 10 plus years, I've been making six figures and um, that wasn't enough for me. And my, you know, my heart wasn't satisfied. And uh, when I had the opportunity to come in to assist the Rochester Family Mission, those needs were higher than ever before. Um, Rochester currently has three zip codes that are in the top 10 in New York State with food insecurities. Mm -hmm. So what we do is very important in, in Rochester. So my heart started to get attached to that and seeing children in need and seeing even even elderly people in need, you know, it just calls for a shift. So when the opportunity opportunity presented itself for me to become the executive director uh first of all i was shocked <laughs> and uh but I, uh according to those that interviewed me um uh you know i was qualified and my heart was there and i had a passion for the people and uh i really loved the direction that the rochester family mission is going um with opening up more services such as our clothing ministry our counseling and etc that's great uh, so can you, can you give me a little bit of history about, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I got to know more about your stories. Um, can you give me a little bit more of a story about about the ministry itself? So each of, you know, how did it get started and how did that kind of lay the foundation for what you're doing today? Anna, do you want to go first? Sure. And, yeah, yeah uh, so we uh, started in 1965 and th the very first activity the Open Door Mission um, hosted was a Thanksgiving dinner. So Thanksgiving in 1965 was the first time the Open Door Mission um, provided a meal. And since then, it was mostly, it started really with meal service, and that evolved into, you know, kind of some outreach and counseling. It evolved into shelter and then residential addiction recovery. So, you know, really since probably, I think it's been maybe since the 80s that we've actually had those residential programs, so addiction mm -hmm. recovery program for men and the shelter. And in the past several years, uh, we have 
grown into, um, we've added our transitional housing program for homeless women and children. We have a permanent supportive housing program that's scattered site, so that's just, and that's for chronically homeless families. We have, we do emergency food and clothing. Uh, we also do eviction prevention. That's something that um, has just started in the past couple of years as well. And we are currently hoping to add on our program, our men's addiction recovery program. We want to offer that to women. Now, it would start likely with an outpatient format um, until we have a space to house everyone. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but at, in the meantime, we're, 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 we're trying to develop the addiction recovery program addiction recovery program to make it accessible via zoom and things like that so we can include women hmm. that's great what a so, rush Go ahead. can i jump in here real quick before you i want to tell all okay. right so uh yeah, Warren, I wanted to, I showed this to Warren beforehand, so he knows what's coming, but um, <laughs> to give a little history, I want to hear more about the history of RFM, um, Rochester Family Mission, but I wanted to also say, so uh, I, I've been doing a lot of digging around here, around the church, uh, just to find old pieces of history. Um, Browncraft is 100 years old. One of our one of our pastors here recently called me Indiana Mercer. I, I, don't know. <laughs> I think I need to get a hat or something. But like you know, it's Just easy. Not a whip, right? Not right. It's, <laughs> that, that could get interesting. Uh, there, you know, there's there's so there's it, it's easy to always be thinking about where we're at right now and where we're going, which is good. But it's important to be thinking about where we came mm. from. We can talk more about that in a, in a minute. But one of the things I found in my digging um, was actually a financial statement. Uh, from Browncroft, uh, a 1927 financial statement. The church was founded in 22, which is why we're 100 years this year. Um, 1927, which I believe was the first year that Rochester Family Mission was founded um, under a different name, yep. um, Gospel Tabernacle. And in it, I'm going to hold it up for the for the people on YouTube <laughs> if they want to. But um, and I probably shouldn't be touching this with my fingers. I'm going to have to put it in a sleeve <laughs> or something. But um, among the the disbursements so that our church was very missions focused from the very beginning and one of the first things on here is rochester gospel tabernacle forty dollars mm. now keep in mind this is 1922 forty dollars went a lot further than that it does now um and the church was only five years old so i think that's uh, significant there's been a there's been a partnership with um, with both of your organizations for decades Looks like 95 years at least. Is that, the, that was the first year, right? 1927? 1927 was right. the first well. year that now Rochester Family, actually, actually now our F mission, um, was, was founded uh, under the name God's Tabernacle. So uh, it eventually went on to be called uh, Rochester Family Mission. And because of the millennial age, it's <laughs> our F mission who prefer everything to be acronym based. So, um, so yeah, it, it's been around. We will be celebrating 100 years soon as well. And, uh, you know, it's amazing that you dug that up because <laughs> I was not aware that he had this document prior yeah, to me right coming. And, and when I seen it, 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 it's it's so original. And um, you know, it says the 1928 for those that are looking, and it's amazing. We have been around that long, and uh, Browncroft has actually been around supporting us from the beginning, and and that's a blessing as well. To which speaks volume to the type of church that you guys are, that you really care about the communities. And uh, 
this is in the 14608 community, right dead in the middle of the city. And uh, you guys are right there planting seed to help the mission of the Rochester family mission. So that is much appreciated. And uh, it does mm -hmm. not uh, actually... I can see it, so it goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, so tell us, you know, so tell me how, why did the, uh, why did the mission get started in the first place, and how does that kind of, over that ninety-five per period, ninety-five year period, how does that affected the mission you're doing doing today? Well, it, I mentioned earlier that um, Rochester has three zip codes in the top ten. Hmm. Well, the one four six zero eight community, which is right there where God's Tabernacle, um, that is number two on the list. Mm. So, um, and it's been that way for a while. And I can assume that they planted the Rochester Family Mission in that area because the need exists maybe a hundred years ago. Right. Now, while, you know, you would say, well, you know, over time, <laughs> shouldn't things have gotten a little bit better? But, um, you know, there's life circumstances and situations that people fall into and also, you know, the uh, lack of development in certain communities that calls for organizations like us to be present and much needed. So um, that's how we got started, basically identifying a need and identifying the fact that these communities suffer from food insecurities and that they don't really have what we would consider a normal, nutritious meal. And, uh, you know, when you look in to the neighborhoods and you look at the, even the corner stores and stuff, they're supplied with chips and juices and sugary items, but you don't get produce, you don't get good meats, you don't get, you know, things that are nutritionist for, you know, individual. And that's what we provide to those families in that neighborhood. We give them an opportunity to, well, first of all, to be able to eat, you know, um, we, we are getting larger families that are coming in and we are, we're providing for them uh, like never before. Mm. You know, before we jump into more questions, I think <clears throat> this is what happens. I think this is the first time you two have met. So, yeah. you know, this, so what, what's kind of hitting me is you have one organization, RF Mission, that's we're consistent. We've done mostly the same faithful work for almost 100 years. And then you have Open Door Mission, you know, not even 10 minutes away right. that has said, hey, you know, we're, you know, we're kind of taking on these new challenges. And I, I guess I'd be curious from your vantage point, you know, cause I, I think that that's something that people get wrong. So mm -hmm. we try to compare businesses like there's certain, there's a certain coffee shop from Seattle that I think <laughs> should just stick with coffee. I didn't say it cup might be on the <laughs> table, but anyways, um, but like, but then there's other organizations like Apple that they recreate the iPad. And so I, I guess from a ministry perspective, how do you both, thinking of your past and even thinking of your future, think about how do we follow God's leading to really serve? Because what you're both doing is saying, hey, we're serving the context that we're in. You know, how do you figure that out? Anna, let's start with you. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, we have, in in recent years, we've really significantly developed our grant uh, funding stream. And one of the reasons that we've done that is because, as I see how systems are changing around us, um, specifically the housing system, homeless and housing and HUD models, and the, those can vary um, state to state. Um, but, but certainly here in New York, we see a very specific approach to addressing homelessness and um, housing insecurity. 
And the big piece that's missing from that is the services part of that is, mm-hmm. is you know, we think we, you know, we put a, um, I'll get a little controversial here and say we put the catchphrase that everybody loves to hear, which is housing first on, you know, on, on the housing model and think all we need to do is get people in housing. If they don't have a house, give them a house. Well, if we're not addressing the things that got them to that circumstance to begin with, they're back in our shelter within six months to a year. So one of the things that we have done is in realizing that we need to catch people at their in, in their most hopeless state. We need to be able to have them have easy access to walk in a, a building or a, a, a facility and get that food, shelter, and clothing, meet those basic needs. But how do we get them to the next level? So what is the next level? For many people in these circumstances, it is addiction recovery. Mm. And for many people, after once that addiction has been you know, addressed, how do, we, how do we continue to get them re-entered into the community, independently housed, employed, productive? And so unfortunately, there's not a lot of options out there aside from just giving someone a house and walking away or a subsidy. So we have decided to kind of walk into that jungle (laughs) and say, we're going to do this and we're going to do it well. And so we, we decided not to shy away from, you know, grants that would help us, you know, partner with with the government, you know, and say, this is this is how you approach the situation, but we want to show how we can be witnesses to how to do it better. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing what we're doing. We, As long as we can maintain our identity as a gospel-based organization and that every service we provide is based on that foundation, then we're able to influence what's going on out there. It's And it's actually created a lot of um, pathways to bigger conversations at, you know, in, at the Washington level, at the federal level, because they're looking at organizations like ours and saying, okay, wait a minute. So you're like all of this private funding through churches and, you know, um, individuals and, and then, so it, but you can do, um, you can actually take it this, you can take it this much farther because we're getting, we're helping you out a little bit, but you're taking it this, you know, farther in this way. So we're able to take someone and put them in, maybe we can get that subsidy to get them into housing, but we're not walking away. We're Mm -hmm. staying with them all along the way. We're making sure that in a month or six months or five years from now, they're still housed and they're still engaged in a church community and they're still working on that network of support around them. And they're also giving back. They're giving back to our community or your community or they're part of your community, you know? So that's, I think that's kind of how we've looked at it and saying, we're not good with just the emergency part of it. We need to take this all the way. I love that. Love that. Warren, I I guess kind of the same question, but you know, both of you have a very similar approach, but even you said this, like we're a faithful presence in that zip code. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how is that kind of framed how you even see the past and the future of, you know, what you're doing and how you're supporting the community? Well, it's most importantly for us, I think that um, being God-centered and God-focused and preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel, um, the Bible speaks of making disciples. And I believe that, you know, if we really look at it, disciples are well-equipped, you know what I mean? And and they they... But if we don't do our job to make disciples as the word, as the Great Commission is, as we've been commanded to, um, you know, when I look at the communities that that we serve, um, it, it doesn't mean that disciples don't actually go hungry sometimes. I'm not saying that because they do fall on hardships and things like that. But they have 
the Lord on their side and they have the spirit to guide them to make good decisions. Um, you know, and, and when we look at what we're faced, I mean, we don't have all the sources at the Rochester Family Mission, but we lean on other places like even Open Door. You know, if we recognize a client has a need for um, housing or have a need, we we will send them that way. And I think that collectively uh, nonprofits have to look to somewhat work together in a sense. And, and just like for us, for instance, we've had an excess of food and we've sent it over to Open Door and they, they, they've accepted it, uh, clothes and extra stuff. They've accepted it. And, uh, you know, and that's the one thing I like about the fact that even though we are organizations is that we find ourselves loving each other and helping each other because our ultimate goal is to help the people. So I believe that if we um, tap into the resources and, and that's something that's important that most organizations, like she said, they don't uh, open door that they can come into where you can sit down, you can do an, you can do an evaluation to find out what is the what is the need? Is it drugs? If it is, OK, well, here you can go over here to this facility. You need some drug help. Is it housing? You can go here. Us, we provide, you know, food and clothing and you, uh, we do have a new facility that we're looking to open up as well. That's going to offer more needs. But, you know, we're, we're in a growth process, you know, and even after 100 years, we're still trying to grow to offer more services. I know we have a heart and a desire because our neighborhood, most of these neighborhoods that you'll find that, you know, have these great uh, food insecurities and these, you know, there's a there's a substance abuse problem. And, and you know, don't, like like. Uh, um, she said you have to address those issues before you can really move forward, because then you find the people that you help today back in your care for the same problem mm. less than a year later. And, you you know, and, and that can be that can kind of uh, affect like directors because our hearts are attached to our work. And, you know, we go home after we serve 100 plus people and we're like excited that we did something good. And then, you know, uh, when weeks when we're not serving as many people, we start wondering, is the community OK? Are they all right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. So, I mean, just and, and like I said, the main thing is just really just keeping God um, and spreading the gospel while we're doing what we're doing. I, and I think that that's the positive uh, effect on the community. That's going to make it better. Well, I'm going to I'm going to push on something that you said. Um, so pastors love to use this ten dollar word discipleship. Yeah. So so when $10. you say discipleship at RF Mission, mm -hmm. what if I came in on a Wednesday afternoon and you're really, what does that look like? Okay, well, don't come in on Wednesday, but <laughs> <laughs> Wednesday, because Wednesday is actually our, oh, it is the busiest day. We got food coming in from multiple different sources, like the Father Heart, they donate some 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 fresh stuff that they get. So we're distributing food, we're setting up, and then we're also like distributing hot meals and stuff. So we're there from like, six in the morning to like seven at night. So not on Wednesday, but other than Wednesday. Um, that sounds like discipleship to me. Though. It is. It is. But other than that is, is um, you know, you find that a lot of times people want to be heard. They want to, you know, and, you know, the, the uncomfortable position that pastors and leaders put themselves in is that they tend to want to be heard. And yes, we're supposed to teach the gospel but not every time should a pastor 
take it upon himself or a leader. You know, I mean, I, I happen to be a pastor, but um, a leader in itself. I mean, we're, we're the executive directors in these communities, but we don't always have to just take over the conversation, take over and have control. We need to listen and then feed. We need to listen and then feed that way that we we're meeting the needs. And I'm not just talk, when I say feed, I mean, give them the word. Give them Jesus. Show them Jesus. The best Jesus that, that, that these people can ever get is to watch you operate how, how Christ would operate. I mean, that's the difference uh, uh, that I find is that many leaders, it's like, well, when you see them, do you see Christ? You, 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 that's the hang up. So I think, you know, from, from my perspective, the biggest thing that we can do is just, you know, just show them Christ, show them the love of Christ, listen to them and then teach them about Christ. Mm. So it seems like uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm listening to both of you and, and uh, you know, I, I guess I've also um, heard in the past, seen in the past that there's a, there's a particular strength to faith-based ministries. Um, and, you know, and not, of course, there's lots of good, there's lots of good charities um, that are not necessarily yeah. faith-based, although sure. I think there's a lot of people of faith who, uh, who get attracted to those charitable causes. Um, but what is it about the, the way you operate that, I mean, like you said, even the government wants to partner with organizations that are doing a good job, you know what I mean? Um, and sometimes people get hung up on uh, all sorts of other, other issues that can be connected to that. But, um, uh, but, uh, but the fact is these faith-based ministries like yours seem to be having good results. Why is that? Why is the, what is the, what's the secret sauce there? Well, I mean, I, I think we've been saying, you know, it's, it's the gospel is is the secret sauce, but it's right. also it's also in creating that environment. There, there's a different feel when you walk in. I mean, you know, I've walked in shelters across the country and, you know, there's a different feel when you walk into a place that, you know, that, that you know, it, there's just a different feeling there, hmm. you know, and even you don't have to. You know, one of the things people, you know, have asked and, you know, there's the whole um people will label religious, you know, or Christian or faith-based shelters as, you know, you have to sing for your supper, right? There's that kind of like that old, old saying there. And, um, and to, I go hungry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And to be clear, <laughs> that's not the case. But what we've learned is that you don't have to, you don't have to force the gospel on anybody. It's, mm. it's, it, people are drawn to it. So do we, do we make people stand up and sing because we have a chapel every day? No, but do they, but does anyone actually, I could count on one hand, the number of people and that I that I have seen actually over the years say, I'm just going to sit back here and I'm not going to, you know, and and that's OK, too, because the seed has still been planted. And and that's the other thing is that, you know, when we look at the difference between, you know, we talk about, you know, the support of churches like you guys, like having a church support us is such an incredible gift because it allows us to maintain our ident identity as a Christian organization mm. first, because <laughs> we don't have strings. Right. Um, that, But that said, there's so much more that can be done with relationships. So there's so much that can be done financial with financial support, but there's even more that can be done with relational support. So folks like Browncroft come in and do chapel services, you know, and, um, and come in and decorate our, one of the things you guys do yearly is decorate our buildings for the holidays. And so to walk into a place that actually feels homey and comfortable and festive makes it, it, it 
has a different feel than, you know, walking in some place where you're just like, okay, I'm just a number. Um, it's kind of feels more institutionalized. Mm-hmm. And so to make it feel like home and, um, and we know that that comes from our, you know, our, our mission that the gospel is, you know, pro, we always say, I say this a lot, that programs don't change people and policies don't change, change people. Jesus changes people. And we just mm-hmm. provide an environment for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And by partnering with churches, that you feel that you feel that way. I mean, there's we we will have our shelter be overcrowded with people when there's open beds elsewhere, hmm. because there's just a different feel there. And maybe not everybody knows what it is when they walk in, but they certainly know what it is when they leave. So hmm. wow, wow. <laughs> Go well, ahead, Warren. Hey, she said it best. <laughs> <laughs> she said. She said, Christ is the sauce. Mm. All right. Did, 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 did you guys get that? Tweet that. I, I mean, Tweet look, that. I love that. I was like, oh, she hashtag Christ is the sauce. I mean, I love that. And and she's right. She's right. A hundred percent. And, you know, while she's, the government is trying to offer their assistance in multiple different ways, um, <laughs> It's not the same, you know, when you have an organization or a church like Browncroft that's like um, participating, um, it, you know, you keep that spiritual component. And, and, and the fact that they're not just a number, just a statistic, just, you know, it, 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 it's different. And it's important to have the church involved. And I think that uh, the church should be involved in all missions, you know, and people that are trying to do the right thing to help. Uh, change, you know, the trajectory of any area, you know, and I think that, it, you know, it's super important because it allows us to be authentic and to not because, uh, you know, you get leaders that come in and they could be faith based and they can change to do everything for the numbers to get to the money. And, you know, when, when our target is to remain faith based you know, it keeps us authentic. You know, it keeps us, you know, spreading the gospel, constantly trying to preach the gospel. So I'm, I'm really not a big fan of the government stuff. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, we do take on some of the assistance that they do provide for us. But, um, you know, j- we're almost 100 years with Browncroft. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, you guys have been supporting, you know, 14608, a community that's 15 minutes away, but you still consider it a part of your community. So Hmm. um, the the local church is very important to what we do, and it keeps us faith-based orientated. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to push back on both of you because there's this story that you're telling that isn't what the news is telling and it's not what so like you know we're talking a lot about deconstruction you know so i have tons of conversation what's deconstructing and people are deconstructing their faith and you know they're saying things like the church is hypocritical and you know the church isn't involved with what the community wants to do and you know in in our worst sense like people that don't know browncroft kind of feel like it's disconnected, mm-hmm. you know, but the story that you're saying, and here's, I mean, I'm biased because um, I'm here every day. Churches aren't perfect, you know, but the story that you're saying is, hey, I might never have met Anna, but I've supported, you know, RFM mission. And Anna's like, hey, I know about his branches, these local organizations. Basically what I hear you telling me is, there's a whole lot more collaboration between nonprofits and churches 
And there is this, hey, like, so people say things like, the church doesn't care about the poor. <laughs> and they're like, there's all these Bible verses, but what you're telling me is there's a whole nother story that's not being told. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, can I? Yeah, yeah please I mean, go. Well, so Wednesday night, that's our busiest night, right? Um, there's churches from everywhere. Browncroft is there every single Wednesday night. You guys may not know because this is a large church, but you guys have groups. You guys have people. They're there every Wednesday night. They also, also, they come down once a month and they cook hot meals for for our clients. So, and, and, and I, I hate to put you guys on the spot because you may or may not be aware because of the church size and the multiple different groups that you have. But I don't even know if you guys know, you guys are present every Wednesday night. There's someone there from Browncroft serving. There's someone there. So our community actually does know those clients that come through. They know that Browncroft is actually there. Now, what people who sit at home and who, who are always trying to persecute the church and always trying to come after the church, I would recommend that they, you know, get up, <laughs> get up off your couch and actually because because they would be considered to me just as guilty if you felt like the church isn't doing anything. Well, why don't you go verify your information before you draw to a conclusion? So get up and go see, because if they walked into our building and say, hey, I want to help. And they asked the question, hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm such and such from Browncroft. I'm such and such from this church. And that they be like, oh, well, I guess the church is helping in the community. Mm. And they are mm. every week. Yeah, I, I mean, I can say without a doubt, Open Door would not be here without the local church. Hmm. It, we, we just would not. I mean, we, we exist based on, and it's not, like I said before, it's not just financial support. The financial support really allows us to, you know, um, maintain our independence. Um, but it's also, it's also when we talk about the church helping the church, you, you well, especially Browncraft, you guys don't just, you don't just send a check, like he said, you know, you guys are there with us every month too. So you have the, you are able to send your folks out to, to help us. We also wouldn't exist without volunteers, you right. know? So between the volunteers, between the, um, the engagement, between the prayer support that we know we get, I mean, we get letters of support from you guys in cars just saying, we're praying for you. I mm. mean, <laughs> that, mm. that, that may seem like such a small gesture, but it goes so far. Like when, if, if it's a really, you know, especially challenging day, you know, and to get that, you know, a letter like that showing up in your mailbox, it's, it's nice, you know? And, um, so I, I can say, I mean, I'm, a, I'm sure with the RF mission too, <laughs> <laughs> I'm behind on the lingo too. Yeah. Those, those millennials. I'm Gen X, so. yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we, we, many of our, these smaller organizations that really do intimate level work with the community, because we're, we're in the neighborhoods, we're on the street, we're doing street outreach. We're able to do that because of the church. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think it's kind of a, an old and overused argument to say that the, the church is uninvolved yeah, or doesn't care. I so, agree. <laughs> so, so jump in there. What, so you're, you're there day in and day out, both, mm -hmm. both ministries. And I know others like yours, Peter mentioned a few too, day in and day out. And you've been, both ministries have been there for decades. Um, and the people in those communities, um, who need help or maybe have family members who need help, um, they know you've been there. I mean, what, and, and, 
it sounds like some of them even know some of the churches that are mm-hmm. are supporting um, that you know, the, or at least the, who the volunteers are. And what do those connections do in those communities? Like, how does that? Uh, how have you seen over the decades or over the years you've been there? Uh, how does that affected people in those communities? Either whether they stay there or if they go to other places, what what sort of impact does it have? You'd be surprised that some people have a hard time opening up to people that they see regular Um, and especially people that they may assume live in their communities. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of some of the volunteers that we have that come weekly, you know, because they they see us every day. So they will open up to us to an extent of what they may initially need. But we see them in circles around the parking lot. You know, when they they pray, because this is how it happens for us. I mean, they'll be outside, you know, in the parking lot. You know, we have our lines and stuff and our volunteers will actually go speak because discipleship, not just being a word. This is action. okay? and they're out there talking and, you know, you'll you'll hear the people opening up. And I'm like, oh, okay, wow. They didn't say that to me, but (laughs) but they said it to another believer who can pray, who can address that. Um, some of them give me some insight so that I can help them further. But uh, I mean, that's the value of the relationship uh, of the church and uh, especially with faith based uh, organizations like like ours. I mean, uh, actually being there and being a part of it is just vital. It, it, you know, it, it's much needed and it's appreciated because the community opens up even more because they see love. Hmm. That's what they see. Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think it goes a long way to um, to bridging divides, you know, um, in, in many ways, you know. So if you have, you know, one of the things that we, you know, when we have people serve breakfast, they'll serve the breakfast, which can feel very transactional. I'm here to help. You're here to take that help. Right. But where the real magic happens is when those servers sit down and have breakfast at the table with with the guests you know because then relationships can be built and you can share stories and you can get to know people and so what that what i see is that that goes a long way from a volunteer and client perspective church volunteers community volunteers to be able to sit and have those conversations really starts to break down walls, you know, racially, economically, mm-hmm. gender, generationally, wow. you know. So when you have someone who's, um, you know, in the shelter and just, you know, completely in a very hopeless state and they're sitting next to somebody, you know, from Browncroft who's, you know, got a great job and his, you know, and you're just sitting there level at the table, just having a conversation, you know, and, and even if there's not, Oftentimes what's happening is the guest is the one who's influencing the, you know, the the person who's serving or the volunteer. But at the end of the day, there's something that happens there that stays with them, you know. So even if it's if it's one conversation where you just feel that sense of normalcy and um, and the volunteer is feeling a sense of, you know, just compassion and connection with, you know, um, someone who's really, really hurting and struggling that stays with you, that, that doesn't mm-hmm. go away, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of times those, those interactions plant the seed for stuff that happens years down the road. I think I geared away from mentioning that, but um, the breakdown of the racial divide, mm-hmm. those things are very important, mm-hmm. and, especially in our communities. And I didn't bring it up and I was thinking it and I was wondering, <laughs> should I say it? Um, and I should, but you're right, is that when 
when you come into these communities, these communities, these are predominantly black communities and Spanish communities. These are the people that I see regularly. Um, we do see white people as mm-hmm. well. I mean, so, but to see, you know, them serving and communicating and giving a hug to somebody who we would probably consider dirty, but no, you're not dirty to us. We love you. It it does. It, it helps out a lot. Mm-hmm. Breaking down those racial divides and things like that, like that, you know, that's a major component that mm-hmm. it does, and it causes for people to really see Christ because of that yeah. too. Yeah. So, I'm a skeptic, and I'm listening. <laughs> and <clears throat> great, Browncroft's 100 years old. <laughs> RF RF missions almost 100 years old. If I did my math right, 60, you're, you're turning. Almost 70. Almost 70. 52. <laughs> I think I said we're 65 years old. We were started in 52. Oh, I, so you I, did your math right. Oh, I did. I okay. just said okay. 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 <laughs> That's good. I, uh, you know, for all those pastoral ministry majors that didn't learn how to budget. Well, anyway, that's a whole other topic. But so, you know, we've been around for decades. And you could look at the city of Rochester you could look at the past two years, you know, we just brought up racial reconciliation and it's almost like, what difference did it make? You know, uh, food insecurity isn't gone. Homelessness isn't gone. How would you respond to a skeptic that would say something like that? Like, so what you've been around for a hundred years? <laughs> I'll take it. You, if you, you want. Go, ahead. go ahead. Honestly, I would just, I wouldn't allow it to, to, to affect me, but I would definitely just try and tell them. I mean, first of all, the population has almost doubled in the past 40, 50 years. So with that, um, you know, understanding that there's a lot more people and there's a lot less resources. I mean, when we look at something as small and I don't mean it to be like small, but, but you know, just think about when I was growing up, there were so many uh, vocational. There were so many uh, recreational so many different opportunities that were available to me as a as a youth and they don't exist today mm. so i think over the course of time resources got displaced and i think that as of lately and i'm talking about like really like 2020 21 maybe even even now people are really looking into those resources that don't exist and they're trying to you know pu- push some energy towards providing resources that have just been like pushed to the side um you know and like for us for instance instance our goal is to open back up our summer camp which was pushed to the side because of a lack of funding um you know those things you know they take place and you know you got to think that that us as a country we've been going through an economic roller coaster i mean you know we got almost depression then now we're going back up and then now we're going back down so people are being affected in multiple different ways so if they can just draw to also oh, what you've been around for a hundred years you know my conversation is well we've been trying to do something for a hundred <laughs> years and you're on your couch <laughs> I would absolutely agree. And and I and and I, I would add that, you know, for every, you know, life transformed and every soul saved by the gospel through these kinds of organizations, the who, who knows if that would ha- have happened if, if not for us. And so I and I would say also 
it's probably a subject for another podcast, but there's lots of reasons why things aren't going better from, I would say, from a policy standpoint. Um, but we won't we won't go there now. Um, so how I would respond to that is maybe things aren't better because there's not more of this. Yeah. You know, um, there's not more of us. There's not more of these faith-based organizations that have the capacity and the independence to be able to really engage on the front lines with the people who need help the most and to really get them to a place where they're going to be long-term successful, not just long-term dependent. And I think that's where we, you know, we want, we know that there's always going to be people in need, you know, we, we know that that's not, that's not going away. But what we can do is do more, is do more of this. Mm. So I think what I hear both of you saying is, so there's, there's a saying that pastors like ask themselves, I ask myself this every, if Browncroft closed tomorrow, mm -hmm. who would notice? And I think even what you're saying about the nonprofits that you mm -hmm. serve, if Open Door closed tomorrow, if RF Mission closed tomorrow, people would notice. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I was actually thinking the same thing as what Peter was just, um, what he just said was, I think that's a significant, it's definitely a significant thought to think about what, what would, what would happen if your, if your church or your ministry your mission, whatever it is, wasn't there, um, would people notice it? I think the answer is yes. Um, and, but it's a good, it's a good marker to judge, judge yourself by. So, um, I also, I really, I really liked, you know, what you both actually said too. It, it seems to me like beyond the, the immediate needs that are being met, there is a, I think if you were to ask the question, if our ministry is closed tomorrow, would would there be would we be more united or divided as a society? Mm -hmm. Sure, oh, sounds well. to me like we'd be more divided. I mean, what do you <laughs> what do you think? I definitely um, think we would. Yeah, yeah. we'd be divided. I mean, um, anytime people are coming from multiple different communities into a community, you know, yeah, we would definitely be very divided. Um, we wouldn't have those opportunities, those small opportunities to bridge racial gaps and, 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 and all type of different gaps, they, you know, it, they would be taken away. Hmm. You know what I mean? So it gives people a chance to view people in a different light. So nah, I don't think they should. Yeah. Yeah. And even in terms of like the, you know, in terms of bridging those divides, the, the divides between shelters, between shelters and, and the, um, you, in the shelter system anyway you've got you've got kind of two camps and open door tends to walk the line between them and one side is the heavily you know just government you know based shelters and the other side is the ones that are kind of like we'll call them the like the low to no barrier shelters right so operate completely different we are able to kind of walk that line and say well hey we we recognize the value and structure and you know different funding sources and making sure that things are tracked well but we also want to be very accessible to anybody who needs shelter at any time so mm -hmm. you know so we're able to see you know we're able to be a partner with you know for example like our county government to say you know when like when the garage closed you know everybody you know talk about things that you don't see in the news you know everybody's talking about oh my gosh the garage doors are closing and everyone is going to be put out and we were there we, we were literally there we were there with the county we were there with other providers 
at the door waiting for people to come that evening to say make sure they knew they had a place to go there was so much collaboration going on in the background you know to make sure that every single person who was not going to be able to access that garage that night knew they had an option and a place to go and and, and so absent that because otherwise you've got I, would, I remember sitting there like in the street leading up to the garage on Fitzhugh and one side is kind of you know the folks kind of protesting the closing of the garage and the other side you've got the government elected officials saying this is what we have to do and the owners and everything and i was like physically standing in the middle and almost took a picture of it saying oh god you know here here we are again you know and 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 the solution to that is coming up and saying hey we're, we're partnering with the county the county trusts us and trusts us with taking these folks on and then to the other folks saying listen they can come with me. They can come with me right now, you know? And so that's just another, you know, divide that you can bridge, I think. But we couldn't do that without our ability to mm. remain independent. Yeah. I think uh, we need a whole new other episode. So <laughs> we need a one-on-one, bringing both back together. Um, you know, in closing, we asked the same question. But one thing I want to bring up, um, we interviewed Michael Peace from Bethel Express. Mm-hmm. And his question was um, something to do with why would I serve long term? Mm. And his whole point of that episode was, you know, he says it so much better than I do. He goes, those kids are cute, but (laughs) you better be serving because they need someone faithful for years Mm -hmm. to come. Mm -hmm. And I think what what we're all saying with this question, why does a centennial matter? Why does, Mm -hmm. you know, almost seven decades matter? Well, it, it matters because the relationships and there's things that we don't see um you know so i'll talk about small group ministry for a moment you know so we we have small groups at browncroft they meet you know 10 to 12 people i can't measure the gospel work in the fact of there were marriages that didn't get divorced Mm -hmm. because they had accountable Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. there were kids that were in student small groups that didn't go to drugs because a small group leader was there. And I think what you're kind of saying too is we can't always measure like a family, you know, that, you know, a parent made this huge decision. Um, You can't measure that, you know, you can't measure preventativeness. So I don't know, that's pretty powerful. So anyways, I could preach. Uh, (laughs) So the last question we always ask, so uh, the good news is there's two of you to answer this question. So however Aaron and I messed this up heretically, (laughs) you guys can fix it. Does that sound good? So the question we always ask, what does Jesus have to say about this? Why does investing in community for 100 years make a difference? So Aaron, you're like our centennial poobah. <laughs> that's you know? funny. Oh, that's funny. Indian, um, Indiana centennial there you go. Mercer. Yeah, I do like history, and I think it's important. I think our stories are important. Where we came from affects what we do now, um, and who we are. We're part of a bigger. We're part of a bigger story. All of us, mm-hmm. um, and part of a bigger story to de- together. I think. I think that this is an important question. I think uh, you know, does Jesus care about it? Absolutely. I think the fact that. Well, first of all, he each of our ministries, he planted. Mm-hmm. He was the one that inspired people to plant each of those. Um, and I mean, I would love to know more about like what was on the hearts of the founding people and why they mm-hmm. plant. You know, what was it that immediately triggered them to do it? But I think it does matter, and it matters to be faithful in the community for um, so a community knows that you're not in and out 
you know, and uh, you're making a difference over the years. So I think that I think that does matter. And um, Warren, I really liked what you you were you were hitting on um, at some point uh, earlier in our conversation about actually you both were about how people aren't numbers; they're people in these in these ministries, and that that's really gets to the heart of the gospel is we're seeing people as people created in the image of God and who are loved beyond comprehension. And, and I think that's the importance of staying faithful in those, in those uh, ministries for years to come. I think one of, one of my favorite stories that Jesus talks about is, <clears throat> you know, there's this shepherd that leaves the 99 to go for the one. And what I'm hearing, why does a hundred years matter? Because when you have just 10 individuals that live out that gospel, that say, you know, hey, our whole city might be okay, but there's food insecurity here. No, that's not good enough. Mm. That's why people are motivated. That's why nonprofits and churches are motivated because this one story that says, we're gonna be radically inefficient. We're gonna be radically like, almost we don't care about the metrics and we do, but we are, <clears throat> we're, we're gonna so care about that one sheep that we're gonna put all of our resources there. And I think it comes back to what God calls us to be faithful and what he does out of that, we won't always see on the other side of heaven, but you all see it on an everyday level. So I just, you know, that's what I'm leaving with. So when you live with that value, you see people the way God created them, so. Yeah, I, I always think, um, especially, you know, doing street outreach and thinking about how Jesus, Jesus ministered to crowds, he taught to crowds, but, just as much, if not probably more, he, he was relational and he got down to earth and um, ministered one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. And I think that's something that by, you know, by our organizations and having, you know, even in our case, we're two different organizations that function that, you know, we partner and we work together, but, you know, it's, and, and that's important, but having those one-on-one -on -one relationships with people that you build and that you create and that you can have that long-term effect and long-term service with, I think is just really, it, it is critical. And, that, and that's what I, I when, when I think of a question like this, I think of that. I think of that maintaining um, and sustaining the ability to really enter into deep relationship with the people that we serve. Mm -hmm. I just, it's going to sound like I'm, piggybacking totally off of what uh, Anna just said um, is when I look at it is um, you know you guys are here right and, and just like Christ you know he traveled around though and he found more people to you know give the gospel to and you know you guys even being centered here right here on Browncroft Boulevard you have taken your resources and you found a way to touch more and more people, you know, and you know, you're like, well, I'm not there, but we are there. You know, we're, we're helping that organization touch more and more people. And that's what I call a very effective ministry. Mm -hmm. That's what I call being very effective with the gospel is um, putting yourself in positions to where there's people being touched that you don't even know about. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I yeah. said, you guys are present uh, regularly in, in my organization um, and you may or may not know the people like I said but just think about it even when you don't know that the gospel is being spread by people that are associated with you it is hmm. and that's a yeah. beautiful thing I think 
that makes a hundred more years look bright. Mm-hmm. What a nice ending. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, uh, so both of you actually have special side projects too. So you're on WYSL. Yes. Yeah. We have an open door does a radio show. Yeah. Yeah. And when is it on? It airs on the third Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday of every month. Okay. Great. And then what's your podcast? It's called Man to Man 360. It's uh, where we take a look at worldviews from a Christian perspective. It's four men. And uh, currently right now, of course, you can find us on all the podcast channels, but we can also be uh, found on Our Spirit. It's a uh, Christian um, radio station online. You download the app and listen. So Mm. we're on there as well. Awesome. And uh opendoormission.org dot com dot com yep uh, dot com <laughs> and then I'm actually rfm mission dot org org dot <laughs> 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 com dot org dot, dot peter so yeah. Yeah, make sure you look them dot up peter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good new domain there there you go uh, we'll we'll be tagging Anna and Warren um, but you know I I would just encourage you you know as a church the way we want to celebrate whether you come to Browncroft or not, you're a listener, I'd say support financially or volunteer at these organizations. That's the best way we can celebrate what God's doing. So I'd encourage you to do that. Um, love that. So again, we're the Why God Why podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and having a fun episode. We hope you have a great day. Mm-hmm.